still alive, and Steve and I are in one piece. So the Lord's kind and good, but it's just funny. Just thinking about that the other day, Steve, this past week. Anyway, let me let me say a word. On September 20th, I know we do some commercials. We're having Founders Day, type of homecoming where we remember as God placed in the heart, His heart, Kingsway Baptist Church, as the church is formed under God's power and His strength. And maybe, you know, we have Facebook now, and uh, my email, Pastor Todd at Kingsway Baptist Church. Maybe there's a story you'd like to share of how God touched you and has touched you at Kingsway. And uh, I think it, I think it'd be kind of neat to occasionally have, you know, a little story of what God's done among us to be able to share. So I don't know. Think about that it, through September 20th. I, I think I might write something about how you guys touch me. The Lord used you. Be thinking about that. I'd love to hear a little bit, be able to share a little bit um, as that comes. Uh, let's get in our text. We are in Genesis 18. We're going to look at verses 22 through the end of the chapter this morning. So I ask you to stand in God's honor. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the numbers of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 people there, he said, I'll not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? For the sake of 20, I'll not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how awesome that you are merciful, Lord, and that you have invited us to have conversation with you, the living God. Father, prayer is so precious. And this morning, as we look at prayer and your answers to prayer, you always answer Father, I pray that you lead us, you guide us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue to move among us. May we worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's kind of interesting. I thought of a few different believers. Uh, I was listening to Focus on the Family this week, and they were talking to Russell Moore, who's head of the Ethics Commission, the Southern Baptist Convention. And they were talking about persecution of the church all over the world. And they talked about in one place of the world, 
where ISIS is thriving, Christians are suffering. They said there was a group of people who were crying. Were they crying because they were about to get their heads chopped off? No. Do you know what? This blew me away, guys. They were crying because they were overwhelmed that God would find them worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. I'm like, wow. And I worry about my little suffering. They were crying because God found them worthy to die for Christ. Cindy told me this morning about a guy that came through the line at Food City that talked about how he ended up getting this infection in the hospital and there was this $13,000 bill that was owed, but he ended up not having to pay the bill because it was really a mistake at the hospital that got the infection. But she said what struck him was how gracious he was about the people at the hospital and how they served him and how they took care of him and how good they were. And he said... You know, I had 11 days in the hospital with this infection. But there was this nurse that I talked to about Jesus. And if her heart was open to Christ, if she came to Christ, it was worth it. It was worth it. And then I heard in Sunday schools, Becky talked about a dental hygienist that loved Jesus. And she said, man, when that woman prays, wow. And see anything like it. What? Where does that come from? It comes from a close connection with a living God. That is tied into prayer. James 4 verse 3 says. When you pray you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. There's the request. What we ask for. But then behind the request. There's not just the what. Which is the request. There's the why. Why do you pray? Why do you pray for that? And we need to do the heart search and and let God get inside and and check our motives. Why? Why are you asking for that? What's behind that prayer? It's 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 critical. It's important to to be able to to understand that as God works in our lives. So let's go through here. You know, time gets away from us preachers, and we'll try to get here in this outline. Four ways. God responds to our prayers. First, God says yes to our petition, but then he says no to our desire. He says yes to our petition, but no to our desire. Turn me to Numbers chapter 11, as we will see a case here where God said yes to the petition, but no to the desire. Um, Actually, in Numbers 11, I had... Memorized this years ago in the Amplified. You know how the Amplified takes a sentence and makes it a paragraph. But it said, And the people grumbled and deplored their hardships, which was evil in the ears of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and devoured those in the outlying parts of the camp. Long sentence, huh? And why was the anger of the Lord kindled? Because of their grumbling hearts and and let's just take a little time and look at this as god says yes to the petition but no the desire he starts out here that complaining where did that come from well look down in verse two the people cried out to moses but why because of that fire that's burning moses prayed to the lord the fire died down so the it says the place was called 
Taborah because fire from the Lord burned among them. Now look at verse 4. It says, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. But they say, I'm tired of this manna that you keep bringing day after day, even though God kept them from starving out in the wilderness. And, and notice, look here in the next verse. <laughs> If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. (laughs) But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. God, even though you're taking care of me, I don't like how you're taking care of me. So what do they do? They not only give the food they ate, they gave the recipe. And what technically was this stuff, guys? It was slave slop. In reality, but they had glamorized this. Oh, if only we could have those recipes of the slave slop once again instead of this old manna. We want meat. So what happens? What does God do? He answers their requests. But he doesn't answer their motive, their desire. Drop down to verse 31. Now when went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the area. Brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground as far as a day's walk in any direction. (laughs) All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. So what happened? They came down to about three feet. Quail as many as you could see. The people went crazy. They're grabbing quail. They're trying to get quail. They wake up in the morning. They're three feet deep as far as they can see. Quail, 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 quail everywhere. They wanted it. They got it. Man, did they get it. Notice as it goes on in the text here what it says about it. But while the meat was still between their teeth. Yum, yum, quail. Before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people. And he struck them with a that devilish appetite that bad motive that bad desire they ended up receiving not what they really wanted not what they thought they were going to get oh man sometimes God gives us the request but there's the wrong motive there's the wrong desire and we're not blessed next one here second God can say no to our petition and yes to our desire Back to our focal passage here in Genesis 18. Abraham pleads before God. And I want you to notice here, God ends up saying no to the petition because Abraham doesn't want Sodom to be destroyed. He doesn't want Sodom to be wiped out. And let's just be honest here. Why? Because he's got some family there that he loves. And he's praying for that family. And, And he's praying for those for Lot and his wife and those, you know, those girls, those kids. And God, spare them. And he prays if there's just a few left. Man, I'm thinking those ten are probably just Lot and his wife and that family. That's the ten he's thinking about. God, if you know, please spare them if you destroy this place. We know what happens. We know that God does end up destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. So he doesn't answer that petition. But he answers the motive of the heart. Look, turn me to chapter 19 of Genesis. Verse 15. 
With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city's punished. Notice this next part, when he hesitated. He hesitated. But remember Abraham's prayer? God, spare these few. Notice what happens here. He says, um, when he had, uh, says, when he hesitated, that he took his hands. The angel grasped the hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to them. He destroyed the city, but he answered the heart of Abraham took by the hand those who hesitated to lead them to safety out of the city in God's mercy. Sometimes we ask for the wrong things, but because he hears our heart, he gives us what we didn't expect, but it's what we needed. If some of you heard that prayer of the unknown Confederate soldier, what a great prayer. He didn't get anything he asked for, but he received all that he needed. Listen to this prayer. I asked for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Third one. He may say yes to both the request and the motive. Turn me to 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, one of my favorite characters in the scriptures is Elijah. And this is a uh, one of my favorite accounts. Uh, all you guys out there, this is a great action movie. I mean, this is the kind of stuff. It's full force. There are these 850 false prophets that are gathered against little old Elijah. And there's this contest to see who God is. Who's all powerful. So there's these altars that are built. And as you go through chapter 18, it says they gather here, and Elijah says, Why don't you 850, why don't you guys go first? So they build this great altar. Then they start calling for their gods to bring down fire. They get kind of, I mean, this goes on for hours. They're exhausted, they're screaming to their deity, they're going crazy. And they even begin cutting themselves. And then Elijah shoots back and kind of has a little fun with him. You know, who says that sometimes you can't have a little fun and as a believer, right? And then I, I think it says, where's your God? Is he on vacation? You know, and the, uh, the Hebrew literally says, has he gone to relieve himself? I remember in the um, Living Bible, that old paraphrase, he said, you know, is, is he sitting on the commode? You know, where is he? That, you know, that is what is shared. And, and, and man, they just go all that much crazier. Nothing happens. And then it's so great. Then God 
uses Elijah to build this altar. He's, he's, he's making this altar. He's, he's taking the sacrifice. He's putting it there. He's cutting it up. Then he tells the people, he says, hey guys, he says, make sure there's 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel here at this altar. He says, now, I want you to dig a hole. He says, I want you to a uh, uh, moat around the sacrifice. And, and he says, then I want you to take water, buckets of water and douse the sacrifice until it said there's water. It said all around the sacrifice, all around the moat that's around that altar. He says, now we're going to pray. Oh, man, it's good stuff. Look down here uh, as it describes this. And uh, in the scripture here, let's see. Uh, verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Get him, God. Oh, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I and your servant have done all things at your command. Isn't that a great way to pray? What if we prayed like that? Dear God, may what we do as a body of believers in in this fellowship, Kingsway, may you be known throughout Bristol, throughout the Tri-Cities, throughout the state of Virginia, that you be known as the one true God. Don't you think God would like that? Want to hear that? Man, what a way to pray. He goes on here, he says, uh, (laughs) Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. Why? Here's his motive. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. Man, we need that, don't we, in a land. God, bring down this fire so that people will know that you are the one true God. And that hearts will be turned back to you. Man, I know... I can get negative about our land and the direction of our land many times. But I believe that there's a God who loves us and wants to turn hearts back to Him. And I believe He wants to send a revival. And, and, and that's what He's praying for here. That's what He says, God, turn hearts back to you. A revival to break out. And then I love it. Verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil. Look at that last part. And also licked up the water in the trench. I mean licked up the water. God showed up. And it changed everything. And a revival did break out. And people came back to him. So there are times where God answers both the request and the motive. I love those. I love those wonderful times. Fourth. No to the petition. And no to the desire. Why does this happen? Uh, I don't have an exhaustive list, but let me mention a few of them. Uh, Number one, it may happen because of holding on to unconfessed sin. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Hey, I know we're all sinners. I know we all struggle. But do you cherish the sin? Do you, as I like to say, nurse it and rehearse it? Do you hug it, pet it, stroke it? I love you, little Sid. Do you cherish it? Or are you broken over it? Do you run to your Savior 
when you fall in it. That's a reason God doesn't hear us. Another reason is hypocrisy. Matthew 6, that great sermon on the mount. He's talking about the Pharisees and he's just talking about hypocrisy. And he, he says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites do. He says, they, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Do not keep babbling like the pagans. They think they'll be heard because of their many words. Now God knows your heart. God knows your motive. Sometimes we're not heard because we're not being honest with God. We forget that He sees us. He knows us. We can't fool Him. Another reason um, sometimes is doubt. We're not really resting on God. There's not a real confidence. We don't really believe Him. We're not really trusting Him. James 1, 6 says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man will not receive anything he asks from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. There's doubts. Another one uh, I thought of here is closed ears to the poor. Proverbs 21.13 says, If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. I don't think it's saying here that, you know, every time somebody's hurting and poor that you're just dumping money on the issue. Now, I think what's more important than money is dignity. How can I give this person dignity? How can I give this person an opportunity to um, matter? Because we all need to matter. How can I help this person be able to get a job so that they can be able to, you know, get the money that they need to survive and to thrive? How can I give this person that sense of accomplishment where either he's making something worth buying or he's providing a service worth having? But I need to be sensitive to those that are around me. I don't need to just always be thinking about me. That closes the prayer channel to God. Um, Next, unresolved conflict with your spouse. This is from 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Um, the word hinder there comes from the Olympic Games where a runner cuts in front of another runner and hinders him from running effectively. In our relationships, uh, husbands, wives, there needs to be respect. Things need to be right. It's not about who's calling the shots. It's not about who's in charge. It's about loving each other. It's about respecting each other. And when that doesn't happen, it hinders our prayers. It cuts off that line with God that he wants us to enjoy and have. Uh, Nick, sometimes it may just simply not be his will. Believe it or not, we do not know everything. Matter of fact, I feel like the older I get, the less I know. So I expect by the time I die, I'll know absolutely nothing. 
but he knows it all. And it just may not be his will. Uh, Next, sometimes he just wants to teach us something. His divine lessons. And man, sometimes they come by pain, don't they? Think about Job. All right, let me uh, wrap this thing up a few minutes here. I'm probably past time, you know, as preachers. What's it, what's it mean when a preacher looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing, right? Uh, first, uh, God can and often does say yes. Don't you love those times? I like it, God, when I clearly see the yes. Secondly, God can and sometimes says no. That, that I don't like. The times that the answer is no, that's tough to swallow. Um, even sometimes we may be convinced we have a good reason, but the answer is no. I think of Paul. Remember Second Corinthians chapter 12? Paul said, I've got this sharp object, this thorn in my flesh. People have, you know, they say, what is that? You know, did he have bad eyesight? Or, you know, did he have crippling, you know, arthritis? What arthritis? What he had? We don't know for sure what he had. We do know that he didn't want it. And he prayed three times. He begged for God to take it away. And I love his response. There is something a little troubling in 2 Corinthians 12. He said he sent a messenger of Satan. Ouch. To torment me. But then he came to that place of trusting God. And uh, invert. Uh, let me turn there. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He, he responds and he says to them uh, that my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why I delight in weaknesses. So that Christ's power may fall on me. Nose hard. To receive that God has another plan. God has another plan. It's amazing how he can work through our weaknesses. There's been a number of times through the years that I've preached. And every once in a while as a preacher, you know, we try to hide it. Sometimes we preach. We want you to think every time we preach that we think, you know, this is a good sermon. And it's worth being here. But every once in a while, you know, I, I preach these sermons where I think, oh my, that died ten minutes ago. And I'm thinking the whole time, God, we just need to bury this thing and move out of here so people can be free. You know, people are probably sitting there and, you know, it's like Pharaoh, let God's people go, you know. But what's amazed me is more than once that's happened to me. And I've had people come and say, God really spoke to me through that message. And of course, I'm thinking, how? Well, I guess he can. He's God. Because it certainly wasn't anything I said. But it just reminds us all. He uses weak people. And that's who we are. Isn't it great, though, that he does? Amen. All right. One last one here. Sometimes God says, wait. Well, what's the difference between wait and no? Sometimes we don't know until he says yes. Or... Until we're in his presence and see it clearly and fully. I love that in First um, Corinthians thirteen twelve. It says, now we see but a poor reflection. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I'm fully known. One day we'll see it all clearly. But sometimes that wait 
We don't know till he answers. And we just trust him and we continue to follow him. And he develops patience and he develops faith in the waiting. He makes us like Christ. Let's pray. Father, it's been good to be here today. To sing to you, to talk with you, to hear from you, to give to you. Father, um, it's all to you. And so is this time that we describe as response or invitation. It's for you. Father, my hope is that you've spoken to some hearts here today. And that we would say yes to that and follow you. Maybe it's to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you've called someone to pray here. Maybe you've called someone to come up today to say yes to another commitment that you want to be made. Father, we want to follow you. Maybe someone needs to trust you for the first time today and say yes to Jesus and find forgiveness. Maybe somebody needs to take that step of obedience and come before your people and say, I have received Jesus in my heart. He's forgiven me. And now I want to be baptized in obedience to him and show people what he's done in my life. Maybe, Father, there's another testimony of one that has been saying no to you, but today it's time to say yes. And and maybe that needs to be dealt with now. And maybe you want someone to share that, something from that. Father, whatever, I just want you to be free to move among us in this time. So, Father, as we stand and as we sing, may we do what you want. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.